Have you ever wondered how the separate threads of your life fit in to one big picture? How the individual moments of challenge and triumph connect to one another to form the great meaning of your life? I am Anna Mullins, your Life Story Editor, and I'm convinced that making sense of our deepest pain can help us understand our deepest purpose. In my speaker training program and on this podcast, I help people weave together those confusing, often shameful pieces of their past, revealing the life-changing lessons that create their profound new story. Welcome to Unapologetic Stories, where secrets are out and the truth is in. Welcome back, storytellers. It is a solo episode this week. Just me, you, and a microphone. I know a lot of you have been asking for more solo episodes, and here we are. This one, it's a biggie. I have truly been working on this particular edit for a very long time. Longer than I've actually had this podcast, actually. It has been, this topic has been a constant inquiry for me since I think probably since I began my coaching business and maybe even before that. Certainly even more so after I launched the Unapologetic Speaker Training Program and then more still after I personally produced three fairly major events, Unapologetically Her, and then even in my day-to-day conversations with friends and family. It is a big one today. We are talking about the subject of worthiness. Worthiness. Oh yes, we are going there. When I first dropped this topic several months ago on Instagram, I put it in my stories and I think I threw up a question box at that time. And my goodness, I was inundated with responses from you and questions from you. This hit a big nerve, just that word, unworthiness or how to feel worthy. And I wanted at that time to just share all my findings right away, but I knew that I needed to really think this one through. So it's taken me a hot minute to get here. Likely I questioned my own worth in talking about a topic this big, I'm sure the irony, but here we are. And I really cannot wait to jump in with you today. So here goes. Worthiness. Let's just start, I think, with a basic definition. Now, pretty cliche way to start a podcast, but I think it's important that we understand what this is and just how big it is. So worthiness is defined as the quality of being good enough. The quality of being good enough. The quality of deserving attention or respect. My word the quality of deserving attention or respect. Whew, that's a biggie. Or of being good enough. Good enough for what? Good enough for what? Now, traditionally, when we think of worthiness, we think of things like imposter syndrome. In fact, that's something many of you brought up. Tackling or fighting back against imposter syndrome. Feeling worthy of being in a space, in a business, in a role, in an identity. 
Now we're going to go deeper than that today, but I'm going to circle back to this piece because I think it's really big and practical in the scheme of our human lives. But I do think that what hit a nerve for people on this topic of unworthiness was not necessarily the idea of not being deserving of attention, respect uh, in those particular situations, such as work, though we will come back, as I said. But actually, the concept of being unworthy as a human being in our communities, in our families, in our social circles, in our friendships, in our desire to belong, and even deeper in our desire to understand why we are here and whether our pure existence, the reason that we are on this planet, the purpose for which we are alive is not only seen or given attention, not only heard or given respect, but is loved absolutely beyond all identity all roles, all titles, all jobs, all feelings, all behaviors, all outward physical expressions of ourselves. Loved and worthy simply because we are here. Because we are here. And that is the question, isn't it? Is who I am enough? Is who I am without ever doing anything or offering anything or saying anything or being anything other than who I am good enough to be loved? Think about a time right now, in fact, when you felt unworthy of anything, unworthy of your success, unworthy of a friendship, a relationship, a delicious meal, a safe place, a great outfit, a bikini on the beach, a place on the stage. Think of a time you felt unworthy of appreciation attention, affection, or love. Just bring that into your mind and heart right now. And we're going to come back to that later. For now, I'm going to tell you a little story. I have a six-year-old daughter named McKenna, and she has always co-slept with us. Ever since she was an infant, when she first came home from the hospital and she wouldn't sleep, or rest unless I was holding her in my arms. Co-sleeping became our survival. It was the only way mom, that would be me, could get any sleep. So it's just what we did. And to this day, she curls up next to me each night, drapes her long legs over my tummy, and she soothes herself to sleep by asking me questions about consciousness, evolution, black holes, and the universe. Now, if you think I'm kidding, I will one day release the tapes of what we now refer to in our family as Kenna's nighttime ponderings. 
But suffice it to say, most nights I am challenged by this six-year-old with very, very interesting questions that I have to dig really deep for. And a lot of times I say, we'll Google that in the morning, honey, go to sleep. But it's basically become like my professional development. In any case, I digress. The other night, her question to me was, Mom, how do I know I'm me? Like, how does this me know that I'm this me? She says as she shakes her arms and legs. How do I know that I'm me? Though we are, of course, just physical manifestations of consciousness, we are consciousness in disguise, my six-year-old has begun to figure out that there is an I, capital letter I, an I am, that is awareness. It is consciousness. This underlying state of being that we arise from and subside into that sees her that sees the physical manifestation of her. How do I know that I'm me? Here she is trying to know herself. Consciousness trying to know itself. Now, why else would consciousness want to evolve into a physical manifestation such as a human body? Why would it need to show up in this form? The answer is it's learning. It needs to see itself in order to evolve itself and thus evolve everything we know and everything we don't in the universe. It's like a little mirror. Our eyes, our physical eyes, look out into the world and see objects. We know that's true. You may see another person, for example. And our eyes then relay that information back to our brains. In fact, if you know much about optometry or visual processing, you will know that our eyes actually process the person in front of us as very teeny tiny and upside down. That's how it hits the back of our eyes. That is how our physical bodies see the things in front of us. It'll look at a chair and it will imagine that it's upside down and teeny tiny. It will see a tree and it will see a tiny tree upside down at the back of your eye. Everything from our eyes to our brains is then processed as upside down and teeny tiny. And yet somehow we see everything as bigger, taller, and right side up, slightly grander. What we know is right side up. And something, some awareness is dictating that. Because if we look inside the eye or if we look inside the brain, we do not see a picture of a human being standing right side up. What we see and what we know from science is that we see that person teeny, teeny, tiny and upside down twice. How does this all make sense? Well, that's our consciousness. And our consciousness very literally sees the world I guess you could say, as so much more grand and big than it is. It shows us how truly magical and grand that we are. So we have the conscious us, 
And then we have the physical us, the conscious us and the physical us. Now, if I've lost you here, you thought I was talking about six-year-olds and co-sleeping, and here we are in the world of consciousness and optometry and neuroscience. If I've lost you, let me try and bring you back here. We have a body, but we are consciousness. We have a body, but we are consciousness. We are that awareness. We are the awareness. And we use that term awareness and consciousness kind of interchangeably. We are that awareness. We are that consciousness. Call it the soul. Call it awareness, consciousness. Call it spirit. Call it universe. Call it God. Call it self. Call it I am. We all know that it's there. We talk about it all the time, that inner voice, that inner knowing, that awareness. We all know that we are so much deeper and so much deeper than the bodies that we inhabit, greater than the confines of the mind. So maybe you understood my six-year-old's ramblings as how do I know that I'm moving my arms or moving my legs? Well, I think it's so much bigger than that because beyond the scope of our human existence where we, of course, have our daily thoughts and our actions, our behaviors, our beliefs, and our feelings, there is this underlying state of consciousness, but this underlying state of being connected to all other things, people, nature, molecules of water even, and stars, mostly stars probably. So here's a question. Have you ever had the thought, now that I've completely and utterly confused you, have you ever had the human thought? I'm meant for something more. I'm meant for something more. Well, here's what I believe. Because I've talked to a lot of you over the years. I've talked to many clients, family, friends, aspiring coaches, speakers, and authors, and entrepreneurs, and I will tell you this. Most people have had this thought, I meant for something more, and here's what I believe. We've all had this thought at one time or another, not just because we are meant for something more or that you are meant for something more, but because you are something more. It's like a little memory, a little reminder. From time to time, you do get reminded of that by the same voice that my McKenna hears at approximately nine o'clock every night. How do I know I'm me? Who is this me? Who is this awareness that is bigger than what I see? So what the heck, Anna, does any of this have to do with worthiness? Who's thinking that out there? I'm sure a number of you. Well, I would say this. Arguably everything, which is why I started here. Because worthiness is a manufactured point of measure. Right? We remember our definition. It's a quality of being good enough. And I ask the question, for what? What is this manufactured point of measure you're talking about? It is based only on how 
our physical selves, the me that exists with the eyes and the arms and the legs, shows up in the physical world in our human bodies. Let me say that again. Worthiness is a manufactured point of measure based only on our physical existence. And as our young identities begin to see ourselves as separate from our core state of being at nine o'clock at night when you're six, that young self begins to see itself as separate from the core state of being. We then begin to see ourselves as also separate from one another. You can see how that works, right? Our underlying state of being is connected to everything. Everything, sun, moon, stars, and everything under the umbrella of the universe. We are it. We are connected to it. We are it. We are consciousness. And then the world begins to get in the way, and it teaches us that we are potentially separate from that. How, does, how do I know I'm me, right? There's a separation that begins to occur. And if we, therefore, are separate from consciousness, we begin to see other people as also not only separate from consciousness, if we process it that deeply, but separate from us. There is me, and then there is you. There's me, and then there's you. There's a distance that takes place there. How am I me also begs the question, how are you you? How are you you? And how does this all work? If we are separate from one another now, or we begin to believe we're separate from one another, we start to figure out how to fit in, how to reconnect. And then we spend the rest of our lives, I believe, hurrying back to the state of connection. So we're scurrying, really, back from the state of separation from our core self, trying desperately to reconnect to consciousness. We may not know it, certainly, probably don't know it, because goodness knows we'd be having more of these conversations. But we are trying desperately to reconnect to consciousness. And we begin to imagine in our human lives, because that's what we're talking about, and that's the advice I want to give, practical steps. We imagine in our human lives that the way back is through connection from our physical self to another physical self. So the me and the you that are now separate from one another. Me who's on this microphone right now and you who is listening. We are two separate beings. We are two separate bodies. And we fight to really know each other, don't we? And to fit in and to have validation from one another. And then it grows and it becomes bigger. Our social circles change. Our work circles change. And we're continuously trying to connect or to belong to other people, other human beings. This is us spending our lives trying to find connection in some way. And you can see what begins to happen here. Maybe you're already onto it as I'm talking. When there is separation or where there is separation, we begin to wonder whether or not we are the same, whether or not we are worthy, whether we can be accepted by the 
other. So here we run around our lives trying to reconnect back to consciousness, right? This struggle, which becomes what I like to think of as the teeny tiny upside down version of who we are. Just how our basic physical self figures this out. So from person to person or circumstance to circumstance, teeny, tiny, upside down definitions of the world around us. And we try very, very hard, don't we? Turning ourselves upside down and making ourselves teeny, teeny, tiny and shrinking who we are to be more like that world that we see in order for that other person or those other people, or that other workplace, or that job, or that boss, or that social circle to respect us, and to love us, and to make us feel worthy of our existence. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Now, this came from your thoughts and questions many months ago on worthiness. It was a story of a young girl whose father had an affair with somebody at work and subsequently left the family behind for a number of years as he pursued this other relationship. For years after, she questioned whether she was enough as a daughter, whether they were enough as a family to be fought for or to be loved whether they were worthy of the attention and love that they so desperately needed and wanted and deserved. Another listener wrote to me, I struggle to feel worthy in this space, meaning social media, because I never know if people are judging me or questioning what I say or what I look like. And then there's my own story which I will always share in this unapologetic space. So here I am being honest with you. I'm probably still figuring it out myself. This question of where I even belong in the world and whether I'm deserving of love or attention in all the different ways that I show up. Not just when I'm producing major events and offering big opportunities and flying celebrities onto stages for everybody to meet, but when I'm simply tucked up in bed avoiding the laundry and planning nothing very shiny at all. The trouble with our physical selves in this world is that we want that belonging so much and we crave it so much. We beg for it. We set ourselves up for it. That we begin to position ourselves in that way. We will try. We will try to be validated. Try to get our worth validated. And this becomes like an unending cycle. So we do the thing that we think will validate our worthiness. Where people shower us with attention and affection and sometimes even money if we're in business, right? The money starts to come in. The attention starts to grow. People seem to be paying attention. And then we begin to process this feedback. Do I have more people emailing me and texting me and calling me when I'm about to host a major event? Oh, you bet I do. Do I have more text messages from friends 
You bet I do. Do I get more praise? You guessed it. And I suspect the same is true for the young girl whose father left. The world validated for her that without his presence, there was, in fact, less attention. There was, in fact, a degree of lower respect. And so she fights outwardly to replenish or refill those core needs for love and attention and affection. We all do this, all of you who wrote in. We validate the questions that we have, or we seek to validate those questions. That, but for this, we are in fact less worthy of those things, that, those needs that we're looking for. And then we determine, well, in that case, when it doesn't come in, we're virtually unworthy of that. True. This is true. I know I can't see you, and I know I'm just behind a microphone right now, but I can feel you nodding at this one. That we fight and we fight and we fight to have those needs filled and to have that validation that we are worthy filled. But we really haven't done the deeper discovery to figure out what is that empty need? What is the thing that we were trying to fill in order to prove we were somehow worthy? We haven't done that yet. We're just acting in a way that fulfills that need very quickly. The simplest way from A to Z. And here's the thing that happens in our physical lives as we begin to embody the feedback and the unworthiness. We've already decided, right? If less people seem to be paying attention, if there is less affection, if there is less approval, if there is less praise, we've determined we're unworthy. And we begin to embody that. And so our boundaries slip away. There's another big word, boundaries. We give anything and everything we can to get back what we feel is lost or what we feel has begun to slip away. We beg for our belonging. We beg for our belonging. We might post things on social media that will just grab the attention of those around us, things we wouldn't normally even share with another person safely. Maybe we give away our time, our empathy, our energy, our ideas, even our money to ensure connection and belonging. We try to heal the wound of separation from our core self or our conscious self by appealing to others to love us more. And the longer and harder that we try, the farther away from ourselves we become. We know that's true, don't we? The more that we give of ourselves with no boundaries, no awareness, no understanding of what the need is we're trying to fill, we just become tired and we become lost. And then at some point, we wake up in that fatigue and we say those words we talked about before, I meant for something more. I'm tired of shrinking down. I'm tired of turning my life upside down to fit into someone else's definition or society's definition or the world's definition or patriarchy's definition. can't even say that word. I'm so passionate about it. Patriarchy's definition. 
I'm tired of shrinking down. I am meant for something more. Well, remember your truth. You are not meant for something more. You are something more. You are something more. Hear that difference. Meant for something more is reaching for the next thing, the bigger thing outside of ourselves, another external validation of our worthiness. Yes, you may achieve those things, but trust me, the win is when you know fully in your heart and in your soul that you are that something more and you always have been. Now, I know that each one of you listening, if you clicked on a podcast entitled Worthiness, I know already that you have been here and maybe you are here. We've all been there. I've been there. And if you weren't able truly to come up with even one scenario when I asked you before, one scenario when you felt like perhaps you weren't worthy, I would be quite surprised. We have all questioned our worth at some point, our likability, our deservingness. There is not one client, I assure you, I've ever worked with that was not struggling at some level or had struggled at some level in the past with the question of whether they were worthy. Everything comes down to worthiness. And because we're here living these human lives, we have to tackle this in a human way. So here's what I invite you to do with these thoughts. The first is to remember that although I have taken you down the road of consciousness today, which is a big concept, and although the goal I'm proposing is to reconnect to your core self, There is also a self that exists out in the world. I know you were thinking it. There's a person in the world right now that needs to feel a sense of belonging. And if we're going to seek for that belonging, let's seek for some honoring ways to play in that space. Ways that don't make you shrink yourself teeny, teeny, tiny and turn yourself upside down to get what you need. Here's what I would suggest. I want you to start with determining what your unworthiness story is. Now we kind of position this at the beginning, right? To start thinking about a situation in your own life. So we're going to start by determining what that story is and then unravel the story. This is what I'm going to call today your personal edit. Think back to that example that you came up with earlier and ask yourself the following questions. What is it that you were craving or needing at that time? What was that need that you were looking to fill? What were you trying to become worthy of? What was the validation? Maybe a better question, who were you trying to become worthy for? Were you looking for validation that you were worthy of attention, worth paying attention to, worth looking at, worth spending time with, interesting enough, worthy of following or liking, worth buying something from, if you happen to be a business owner, 
Were you looking for validation that you were worthy? Were you looking for validation that you were worthy of affection, of being told you were beautiful, worthy of being touched or kissed or hugged, worthy of being seen and held? If any of this feels true for you, just bring it into your awareness or if you're at your desk, write it down. Were you looking for validation that you were worthy of appreciation, worthy of approval, worthy of respect or admiration, worthy enough perhaps to be hired for a job or included in a group, listened to, heard, taken into account, congratulated, Were you looking for validation that you were worthy of the success that you have built or that you are building? Or maybe were you looking for validation that you were worthy simply of peace, of calm, of protection, of safety, of basic needs or basic rights? Were you looking for validation that you are worthy of love? Now this is your core worthiness story. Paint it out for yourself. Write out the sentence or think of the sentence. What is your core belief? Is it, I am not worthy of my success. I am not worthy of respect. I am not worthy of being seen and congratulated. I am not worthy of being touched. Whatever that sentence is for you that's holding you back, hold it for a moment. Whatever it is, just hold it. And imagine if you can safely close your eyes, go ahead and do that, but imagine as you hold that core truth, imagine what a person who feels that way, who carries around that core belief, may do in their life to overcome it. Imagine the ways she might show up in the world if she believed deep in her heart that she was unworthy of being loved. Imagine what she might do. Imagine what you might do. Imagine what you've been doing. Imagine all the ways that she might try to change who she was and to bend and maneuver and lie and reshape and recalibrate and tell stories and shrink and play small and turn her damn self upside down to reach that goal, to fill that need and to feel worthy of that love or that admiration or that approval or that acceptance or that affection. Think of all the things you have been doing to make yourself feel worthy, to turn 
I am not worthy into I am worthy. And yet here we are with that awareness. Here we still are, still seeking when what we're called to do is remember. To remember the me that knows me. To remember the me that knows you are you. The one who is watching and seeing and learning and evolving. The you that put you here, that decided you as you are and however you are. They brought you here as you are and however you are and decided that you are not just worthy, but so, so deeply needed. So, so deeply needed. There is a place for who you are. I promise you that. A place for who you are exactly as you are. And if you're struggling, it is probably because this place you are at is not the place. That the external validation that you're seeking for, the type of attention you're seeking for, the type of circumstance or situation that the world or our worldview has told you you must be is actually not congruent with who you actually are. All of those are external goals, external stories, manufactured truths. But why? Maybe you're asking yourself this, maybe you're not. I'm going to introduce it anyway. Why would consciousness want us to struggle with belonging if it's so wise? if it brought us here for such a deep purpose, why would it want us to have these existential dilemmas wondering if we are good enough, if we are deserving of respect? Why would it even want us to feel into the darkness and feel any sense of pain or disconnection at all? Now, there are many spiritual explanations for that question, many about shadows and the darkness allowing us to first contrast to the light but also to reveal our depths and to explore them and to ask deeper questions about where that pain is coming from. And the contrast piece really, potentially the shadows are there to be opposite of the light in order to allow us to explain one side or story one side in relation to the other, all of which I believe are true. And here's what I want to add. I think although we may not remember it consciously, that our first identifiable separation, perhaps at the tender age of six, that moment where we begin to notice that our physical self is separate from our conscious self, even deeper, separate from pure love and pure worthiness. That 
feeling or recognition is our first identifiable feeling of pain. Maybe a little bit of fear. Wondering if we can even sleep alone. Or if we know we're us, then others must know they are not us and I am not them. The first recognition of that consciousness may actually be a shadow experience, a painful experience. The one that begins to separate us. Who we were before the world got in the way is then interrupted by the world getting in the way. And if pain is where it began, then pain may be the catalyst or the physical reminder of that separation so that then we can work to reconnect to ourselves, to remember, to remember. I believe it is a reminder when we feel unworthiness, we feel that pang of pain, of separation, of non-belonging. It is a reminder of consciousness asking us to think bigger, to turn the teeny tiny constricted and upside down definitions of who we are, turn them right side up and see them, see us as so much more grand. That's your something more. So much more worthy. To remind us truly that before we sought for love, we were actually simply love. We were love. So how, you ask in your lovely questions, how do you beat this in your human world? How do you detach the perception of my worthiness from these external validations? How do I disconnect the need to be liked and appreciated and followed and sent money and seen and approved of for having all the things, all the external things, the beauty, the cars, the homes, the whatever, fill in the blank. These are questions from you. How do you detach that perception of worthiness? Well, the first step is the awareness. It's this conversation. It is the awareness, first and foremost, that you are not separate from everyone else. At the core of it all, our core truth is that we're all very deeply connected and we're all sort of longing for the same thing. And because we're human and because the world is what it is, we begin to use creativity, our essential creativity and our evolution to build things. And when we get that feedback that we talked about, look at this great thing I built, look at this great followership on social media, or look at this great business, or look at this great bank account, or look at this great relationship. We're looking at all these external factors for external validation instead of internal validation, the external things, we are receiving feedback from other humans that says, wow, let me give you an example of that. I'm very rarely on social media, as you probably have already figured out if you follow me at all. I don't spend a lot of time there. It doesn't nourish me in any way. 
other than to connect with you. And I have more likes and more clicks and more comments and more engagement on photos where I am heavily filtered, heavily, heavily filtered. I don't look anything like myself. I think it's beautiful, but I look nothing like myself. And those pictures have piles of engagement on it. Why? Because human beings, we've kind of storied ourselves around this. We're all very disconnected from what the truth is. And we're attracted to these things that look like success and that look like uh, classic ideals of beauty. And we look at things that we've been taught. We do have to become aware and stay aware of two things. One, that's not a narrative that's true. It's a narrative we're being fed by media. We don't want to necessarily participate in that because the more we participate in that and validate that, the more the system becomes a snowball and it just grows and expands and it smushes everybody in its wake. Even people who quote unquote seemingly fit into any of these ideals, any of these ideals, the question was uh, the external validation or detaching the worthiness from external validation. So all of that is ideal. So we need to know that's true. The other piece, and this is the hardest piece, is you need to be willing to not belong. For a period of time, not belong in the physical, external validation area, all of that feedback you're looking for. You have to be willing to not belong long enough to realize that none of that provided belonging for you to begin with. That if you were filling a need You haven't done the discovery to figure out what that need was and found another way to fill it. All of these things are temporary. Those measurements will move. They will just continue to move. The targets will change, I assure you. I've been on many stages and there's been lots of spotlights and I promise you the next day, the only thing the external validation is doing is asking me what's next. There is no system that says Let's reflect on how great that was. That doesn't exist for very long. So we have to be okay with that discomfort long enough to figure out that that belonging was sort of a a falsehood anyway. It was a manufactured version of worthiness and approval. It wasn't really who we are, how we wanted to show up, or what we truly wanted out of our lives. And then listen to the feedback. Witness the feedback. Do you... Or are you witnessing how people are showing up for you? If you've been chasing the approval of one thing or one person or one dollar amount, you will learn quickly and painfully that those things are elusive. So sit with that for a while. What do you do? This is another question. What do you do to fill your cup? Well, I presume this is around the question of unworthiness. When I feel unworthy, Uh, I spend a lot of time in constant reminder. Some might call that self-talk. But I have to reimagine my truth. I live in the constant question of, is this really true, Anna? Is what you're telling yourself really true? That you are not worthy of love or that you're not worthy of belonging or of friendship or of a text reply or of an email. Is that really true? Is what you're saying really true? And how can we, how can I argue its opposite? How can I be my own defendant of that truth? Or the opposite truth? How can I defend the opposite? 
How do I unturn this from my reality? I spin it back upside down. I put it right side up. How do I change the way I see this and I look at it? And lastly, I always decide what I'm proud of, what makes me proud of myself. And I say this to my six-year-old a lot, a ton, in fact. What makes you proud of yourself? Are you proud of yourself? And when she says yes, I say great. Because that reference point is so much more critical. And it's really not one we've ever taught before. I think this is kind of a new concept is actually having conversations with our children and with ourselves even about uh, reflecting on that internal measure versus the external measure. How do you feel? I'll give you another quick example. My 11-year-old forgot to bring her spelling homework home and she had a test the next day and she had no idea. She didn't know what she was studying. She had nothing to study. So she was just winging it the next day. Now, this is not entirely unusual for her. And sometimes I question whether or not she does it deliberately, frankly, so that she doesn't have to study. But that's a whole other podcast episode at this point. But um, I said to her, I had a choice. I, I could say, frankly, this is going to be a problem for you. Uh, I don't know what your results are going to look like tomorrow. We'll see what it is. And what I said to her was this. I said, what do you feel in your own heart and in your own mind would feel good to you as a final mark on this test? And the quiz is out of 18. And she said, well, I think 16 would feel good. And I said, great. Well, I trust that you will get there. I trust that you will make 16. And if that feels good for you, then let's aim for 16. You haven't studied, but if you quickly skim skim your book tomorrow morning and you count the words that you feel fairly confident about and that feels like 16 for you, then great. And if you get 16, congratulations. And if you don't, we're going to come up with another plan next week or maybe another number that feels good for you. And her anxiety levels immediately went down. Immediately. Because she wasn't looking for me at that point to validate for her what a good score would be. I just let her decide what would feel good to you. What would make you proud of yourself? When she came home that day, I deliberately didn't ask her and she volunteered the information. She said, mom, I got 17 out of 18. I said, great. How do you feel? She said, I'm so proud of myself. I said, that's exactly what I wanted. That's all I wanted for you. Now, this circumstance can change. This is a small example from a grade five student. But we can start to talk to ourselves in this way. When we decide anything, enter any relationship, any social circle, any set of external expectations, what would make you proud of yourself? What would fill that need for yourself? What would that look like? What would feel good? Because I guarantee we're not really asking ourselves that question very often, are we? We're just not asking. So here's what I want to leave you with. This has been a very, very big conversation today on a lot of very complex topics. This is where I want to end for you today. It's actually a portion, a little paragraph or two from the book, You Are the Universe, which is written by Deepak Chopra. Um, I don't know when, not long ago, a couple of years ago. It's a fairly new book. 
And here's the paragraph I want to read to you. Now it's going to seem complex because it's talking a little bit about Einstein, but please stay tuned and follow along because I think it's incredibly important here. We're talking about the theory, general theory of relativity. Now Einstein could see in his mind's eye that objects would not appear to travel at the same speed to someone riding a beam of light and to someone standing on another moving object. Since the speed of anything is measured by the time it takes to travel a certain distance, suddenly time and space had to be relative as well. This is the foundation of the general theory of relativity. And very soon, Einstein's change of reasoning, chain of reasoning, became complicated. It took 10 years from 1905 to 1915 for him to consult mathematicians in order to find the correct formulation of his theory. And in the end, the general theory of relativity was hailed as the greatest piece of science ever accomplished by a single mind. But it mustn't be lost that Einstein cracked the code of space, time, matter, energy, and gravity by using the experience of visual images. Does this prove that you are creating your own personal reality according to your own experiences? Well, of course. Every moment of the day, you relate to reality through all kinds of filters that are uniquely your own. A person you love is disliked by someone else. A color you find beautiful is ugly to another person. A job interview that sends you into an immediate stress response poses no threat to a job applicant who happens to be more self-confident, perhaps. The real question isn't whether you are creating reality, all of us are, but how deeply your interventions go. Is there anything that is real out there that is independent of us? And the answer is no. Everything known to be real from a subatomic particle to billions of galaxies, from the Big Bang to the possible end of the universe, is keyed to observation. Observation, and as such, to human beings. That's us who are observing. If something is real beyond our experience, we will actually never know it. We will actually never know. If something is real beyond our experience, we will actually never know it. Now, how in the world does that close a conversation about worthiness? Well, let me bring you back. It is a reminder. It is a reminder that what we observe and how we observe it is the only thing that's real. If we continue to observe and to validate that we are different and separate from the thing that we want to be, then we will feel unworthy continuously forever on a cycle. We will always, always, always feel unworthy. Remember that worthiness is simply the quality, 
of being good enough. But the question is for what? And the bigger question is for who? For who? You have always been good enough for the I that sees you, the I that is you. How do you know you are you? How do I know I am me? And how do I know that I am a-okay, exactly as I am? It's all about what we choose to observe, what we choose to believe. Until next time. Thank you for joining this edit of the Unapologetic Stories podcast. If you're ready to share your truth and rewrite your personal life story, connect with me at unapologeticstories.com for all the details on speaker training, storytelling, and strategizing your way through this one big life. If you've enjoyed listening, we would love for you to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast listening app or Apple Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Unapologetic Anna for new speaker training start dates. Until next time, stay brave, stay unapologetic, and keep bringing in your truth. <laughs>